Out of Town. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ruth Golding. Charles Dickens' 200th Anniversary Collection, Volume 5. Out of Town from Reprinted Pieces by Charles Dickens sitting on a bright september morning among my books and papers at my open window on the cliff overhanging the sea-beach i have the sky and ocean framed before me like a beautiful picture a beautiful picture but with such movement in it such changes of light upon the sails of ships and wake of steamboats such dazzling gleams of silver far out at sea such fresh touches on the crisp wave-tops as they break and roll towards me a picture with such music in the billowy rush upon the shingle the blowing of morning wind through the corn-sheaves where the farmers wagons are busy the singing of the larks and the distant voices of children at play such charms of sight and sound as all the galleries on earth can but poorly suggest so dreamy is the murmur of the sea below my window that i may have been here for anything i know one hundred years not that i have grown old for daily on the neighbouring downs and grassy hillsides i find that i can still in reason walk any distance jump over anything and climb up anywhere but that the sound of the ocean seems to have become so customary to my musings and other realities seem so to have gone aboard ship and floated away over the horizon that for aught i will undertake to the contrary i am the enchanted son of the king my father shut up in a tower on the seashore for protection against an old she-goblin who insisted on being my godmother and who foresaw at the font wonderful creature that i should get into a scrape before i was twenty-one i remember to have been in a city my royal parents dominions i suppose and apparently not long ago either that was in the dreariest condition the principal inhabitants had all been changed into old newspapers and in that form were preserving their window-blinds from dust and wrapping all their smaller household gods in curl-papers i walked through gloomy streets where every house was shut up and newspapered and where my solitary footsteps echoed on the deserted pavements in the public rides there were no carriages no horses no animated existence but a few sleepy policemen and a few adventurous boys taking advantage of the devastation to swarm up the lamp-posts in the westward streets there was no traffic in the westward shops no business the water-patterns which the prentices had trickled out on the pavements early in the morning remained uneffaced by human feet at the corners of mews cochin china fowls stalked gaunt and savage nobody being left in the deserted city as it appeared to me to feed them public houses where splendid footmen swinging their legs over gorgeous hammercloths beside wigged coachmen were wont to regale were silent and the unused pewter pots shone too bright for business on the shelves 
I beheld a Punch's show leaning against a wall near Park Lane, as if it had fainted. It was deserted, and there were none to heed its desolation. In Belgrave Square I met the last man, an ostler, sitting on a post in a ragged red waistcoat, eating straw and mildewing away. If I recollect the name of the little town on whose shore this sea is murmuring, but I am not just now, as I have premised, to be relied upon for anything, it is Pavilionstone. Within a quarter of a century it was a little fishing town, and they do say that the time was when it was a little smuggling town. I have heard that it was rather famous in the Hollands and Brandy way, and that, coevally with that reputation, the lamplighters was considered a bad life at the assurance offices. It was observed that if he were not particular about lighting up, he lived in peace, but that if he made the best of the oil lamps in the steep and narrow streets, he usually fell over the cliff at an early age. Now gas and electricity run to the very water's edge, and the Southeastern Railway Company screech at us in the dead of night. But the old little fishing and smuggling town remains, and is so tempting a place for the latter purpose, that I think of going out some night next week in a fur cap and a pair of petticoat trousers, and running an empty tub as a kind of archaeological pursuit. Let nobody with corns come to Pavilionstone, for there are breakneck flights of ragged steps connecting the principal streets by backways which will cripple that visitor in half an hour. These are the ways by which, when I run that tub, I shall escape. I shall make a thermopylae of the corner of one of them, defend it with my cutlass against the coast guard until my brave companions have sheared off, then dive into the darkness and regain my Susan's arms. In connection with these breakneck steps, I observe some wooden cottages, with tumble-down outhouses and backyards three feet square, adorned with garlands of dried fish, in one of which, though the general board of health might object, my Susan dwells. The South-Eastern Company have brought Pavilionstone into such vogue, with their tidal trains and splendid steam-packets, that a new Pavilionstone is rising up. I am myself of new Pavilionstone. We are a little mortary and limey at present, but we are getting on capitally. Indeed, we were getting on so fast at one time that we rather overdid it, and built a street of shops, the business of which may be expected to arrive in about ten years. We are sensibly laid out in general and with a little care and pains, by no means wanting so far, shall become a very pretty place. We ought to be, for our situation is delightful, our air is delicious, and our breezy hills and downs, carpeted with wild thyme, and decorated with millions of wild flowers, are, on the face of a pedestrian, perfect. In New Pavilionstone, we are a little too much addicted to small windows with more bricks in them than glass, and we are not over-fanciful in the way of decorative architecture, and we get unexpected sea-views through cracks in the street doors. 
on the whole however we are very snug and comfortable and well accommodated but the home secretary if there be such an officer cannot too soon shut up the burial ground of the old parish church it is in the midst of us and pavilionstone will get no good of it if it be too long left alone the lion of pavilionstone is its great hotel a dozen years ago going over to paris by southeastern tidal steamer you used to be dropped upon the platform of the main line pavilionstone station not a junction then at eleven o'clock on a dark winter's night in a roaring wind and in the howling wilderness outside the station was a short omnibus which brought you up by the forehead the instant you got in at the door and nobody cared about you and you were alone in the world you bumped over infinite chalk until you were turned out at a strange building which had just left off being a barn without having quite begun to be a house where nobody expected your coming or knew what to do with you when you were come and where you were usually blown about until you happened to be blown against the cold beef and finally into bed at five in the morning you were blown out of bed and after a dreary breakfast with crumpled company in the midst of confusion were hustled on board a steamboat and lay wretched on deck until you saw france lunging and surging at you with great vehemence over the bowsprit now you come down to pavilionstone in a free and easy manner an irresponsible agent made over in trust to the southeastern company until you get out of the railway carriage at high water mark if you are crossing by the boat at once you have nothing to do but walk on board and be happy there if you can i can't if you are going to our great pavilionstone hotel the sprightliest porters under the sun whose cheerful looks are a pleasant welcome shoulder your luggage drive it off in vans bowl it away in trucks and enjoy themselves in playing athletic games with it if you are for public life at our great pavilionstone hotel you walk into that establishment as if it were your club and find ready for you your newsroom dining-room smoking-room billiard-room music-room public breakfast public dinner twice a day one plain one gorgeous hot baths and cold baths if you want to be bored there are plenty of bores always ready for you and from saturday to monday in particular you can be bored if you like it through and through should you want to be private at our great pavilionstone hotel say but the word look at the list of charges choose your floor name your figure there you are established in your castle by the day week month or year innocent of all comers or goers unless you have my fancy for walking early in the morning down the groves of boots and shoes which so regularly flourish at all the chamber doors before breakfast that it seems to me as if nobody ever got up or took them in are you going across the alps and would you like to air your italian at our great pavilionstone hotel talk to the manager always conversational accomplished and polite do you want to be aided abetted comforted or advised at our great pavilionstone hotel send for the good landlord and he is your friend 
should you or any one belonging to you ever be taken ill at our great pavilionstone hotel you will not soon forget him or his kind wife and when you pay your bill at our great pavilionstone hotel you will not be put out of humour by anything you find in it a thoroughly good inn in the days of coaching and posting was a noble place but no such inn would have been equal to the reception of four or five hundred people all of them wet through and half of them dead sick every day in the year this is where we shine in our pavilionstone hotel again who coming and going pitching and tossing boating and training hurrying in and flying out could ever have calculated the fees to be paid at an old-fashioned house in our pavilionstone hotel vocabulary there is no such word as fee everything is done for you every service is provided at a fixed and reasonable charge all the prices are hung up in all the rooms and you can make out your own bill beforehand as well as the bookkeeper in the case of your being a pictorial artist desirous of studying at small expense the physiognomies and beards of different nations come on receipt of this to pavilionstone you shall find all the nations of the earth and all the styles of shaving and not shaving hair-cutting and hair-letting alone for ever flowing through our hotel couriers you shall see by hundreds fat leathern bags for five-franc pieces closing with violent snaps like discharges of firearms by thousands more luggage in a morning than fifty years ago all europe saw in a week looking at trains steamboats sick travellers and luggage is our great pavilionstone recreation we are not strong in other public amusements we have a literary and scientific institution and we have a working men's institution may it hold many gypsy holidays in summer fields with the kettle boiling the band of music playing and the people dancing and may i be on the hillside looking on with pleasure at a wholesome sight too rare in england and we have two or three churches and more chapels than i have yet added up but public amusements are scarce with us if a poor theatrical manager comes with his company to give us in a loft mary backs or the murder on the sandhills we don't care much for him starve him out in fact we take more kindly to wax-work especially if it moves in which case it keeps much clearer of the second commandment than when it is still cook's circus mr cook is my friend and always leaves a good name behind him gives us only a night in passing through nor does the travelling menagerie think us worth a longer visit it gave us a look-in the other day bringing with it the residentiary van with the stained-glass windows which her majesty kept ready-made at windsor castle until she found a suitable opportunity of submitting it for the proprietor's acceptance i brought away five wonderments from this exhibition i have wondered ever since whether the beasts ever do get used to those small places of confinement whether the monkeys have that very horrible flavour in their free state whether wild animals have a natural ear for time and tune and therefore every four-footed creature began to howl in despair when the band began to play 
what the giraffe does with his neck when his cart is shut up, and whether the elephant feels ashamed of himself when he is brought out of his den to stand on his head in the presence of the whole collection. We are a tidal harbour at Pavilionstone, as indeed I have implied already in my mention of tidal trains. At low water we are a heap of mud, with an empty channel in it, where a couple of men in big boots always shovel and scoop, with what exact object I am unable to say. At that time all the stranded fishing-boats turn over on their sides, as if they were dead marine monsters. The colliers and other shipping stick disconsolate in the mud. The steamers look as if their white chimneys would never smoke more, and their red paddles never turn again. The green sea-slime and weed upon the rough stones at the entrance seem records of obsolete high tides never more to flow. The flagstaff halyards droop. The very little wooden lighthouse shrinks in the idle glare of the sun. And here I may observe of the very little wooden lighthouse that when it is lighted at night, red and green, it looks so like a medical man's that several distracted husbands have at various times been found, on occasions of premature domestic anxiety, going round and round it, trying to find the night-bell. But the moment the tide begins to make, the Pavilionstone Harbour begins to revive. It feels the breeze of the rising water before the water comes, and begins to flutter and stir. When the little shallow waves creep in, barely overlapping one another, the veins at the mastheads wake and become agitated. As the tide rises, the fishing-boats get into good spirits and dance, the flagstaff hoists a bright red flag, the steamboat smokes, cranes creak, horses and carriages dangle in the air, stray passengers and luggage appear. Now the shipping is afloat and comes up, buoyantly to look at the wharf. Now the carts that have come down for coals load away as hard as they can load. Now the steamer smokes immensely, and occasionally blows at the paddle-boxes like a vaporous wail, greatly disturbing nervous loungers. Now both the tide and the breeze have risen, and you are holding your hat on, if you want to see how the ladies hold their hats on, with a stay passing over the broad brim and down the nose, come to Pavilionstone. Now everything in the harbour splashes, dashes, and bobs. Now the down-tidal train is telegraphed, and you know, without knowing how you know, that two hundred and eighty-seven people are coming. Now the fishing-boats that have been out sail in at the top of the tide. Now the bell goes, and the locomotive hisses and shrieks, and the train comes gliding in, and the two hundred and eighty-seven come scuffling out. Now there is not only a tide of water, but a tide of people, and a tide of luggage, all tumbling and flowing and bouncing about together. Now, after infinite bustle, the steamer steams out, and we, on the pier, are all delighted when she rolls as if she would roll her funnel out, and all are disappointed when she don't. Now the other steamer is coming in, and the custom-house prepares, and the wharf-labourers assemble, and the hawsers are made ready, and the hotel-porters come rattling down with van and truck, eager to begin more Olympic games with more luggage. 
and this is the way in which we go on down at pavilionstone every tide and if you want to live a life of luggage or to see it lived or to breathe sweet air which will send you to sleep at a moment's notice at any period of the day or night or to disport yourself upon or in the sea or to scamper about kent or to come out of town for the enjoyment of all or any of these pleasures come to pavilionstone end of out of town by charles dickens 